Leicester City win a game of football twice against Legia Warsaw and then Watford in the snow at the King Power. We look forward to the two games in quick succession against Southampton and then Aston Villa. We discuss all sorts including Leicester women finding a new manager. All this on For Fuck's Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fuck's Sake. My name is Peter Zelby and I am alongside Rob Hayes. Over the airwaves, Rob, we have won two games of football on the bounce. Set off the party poppers, uh, let out the town crier to do his stuff. We've won two games of football on the bounce. Here we go. The season starts now. We are well and truly back, aren't we? It's been 11 days since we recorded the previous podcast. Uh, Three games in that time. Uh, we said that the, the fixture list was going to start condensing very quickly, and so it has proved. And let's be honest, I'm much, much happier that we're sat here doing this podcast after those back-to-back wins uh, than after the Chelsea game. Because it's it's one of those that's been hanging around in the back of my mind. When do we talk about it on the podcast? Can we just get it out of the way now? It was an absolute shambles. It was worse than the Arsenal game. It was possibly the most apathetic first half of football I've seen from Leicester City in an incredibly long time but they needed a reaction they got a reaction with the games that we're actually going to spend more time talking about I hope. It was it was almost like they walked out and they were dead inside it was almost like they walked out and they were they, they went to a place to kind of buy flowers for their own wedding in a few weeks time it was they had that look on their face that thousand yard stare of oh my god what am I doing here uh, you know that, Rob, don't you? Yes, I do know that. I've gone. I've been <laughs> through that actually today. That's an interesting analogy about buying flowers for a wedding. I thought you were going to say buying flowers for their own funeral, which was probably more apt than the way that they played. <laughs> no, it was terrible, wasn't it? But they're playing against a very good side, but they played like a team who knew that they were going to lose. And that was what we don't want. That's what any side doesn't want. It doesn't matter whether you're playing in the Premier League or whether you're playing in the first round of the FA Cup against a side six steps higher in the pyramid than you. You don't want the side to go out knowing they're going to lose. And and that's what Leicester were. But that's in the past. It, it, it was a shocker. But it could have been worse. Three none. But there we go. Are, are, are we just going to... Are we are we going to gloss over it, Rob, or should we just shimmy on to the UEFA uh, UEFA Cup, the Europa League? Are yeah. We gonna just... Do you know what? I think we probably should because you know the a lot of the things we would have said after the Chelsea game. Yes, we could have picked apart individual things or tactical things like set piece defending that kind of thing, and those things haven't necessarily gone away. But what you wanted to see straight away would be. That reaction, that, okay, we lost that game, we got beaten, we were beaten from from the second we stepped over the white line onto the field of play, but Leicester needed to make sure that that didn't happen again. And what was going through my mind after the Chelsea game when all I was thinking was, we need a reaction, we need a reaction. Forget all of the other elements of it, all the 
all the minor little tweaks, whatever. It just needed Leicester to come out and have a proper good go in the next game, especially with the balance of the Europa League group. And what was playing on my mind was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saying that you will see a reaction from Manchester United against Watford and them getting absolutely turned over. And I thought, oh, if I, if I say this to one more person or I think this one more time about needing to see a reaction from Leicester, then Warsaw are going to turn us over. But, you know, fortunately, they managed to put the defeat behind them. And that's the most important thing, really, because the manner of it was horrendous. But it was a new competition four days later and an opportunity for some kind of atonement. And and they managed it, obviously, against a, a Warsaw side that are really struggling in their domestic league. But it went from we went from bottom of the Europa League group to top with a game to play. So it was it was the perfect response. It really was against a side who were there for the taking, really, as you mentioned about Legia being so out of form and First of all, the crowd acknowledged or told the players, in theory, what actually they wanted to happen, and 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 hats off to the Union FS boys, and 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 what happened in the cop beforehand with the big tifo, the display, the kind of angled blue and white arrows towards a steam train, you know, from the first whistle, uh, you know, full steam ahead. That's exactly what we want because they've been so poor from the starts recently. We know they've been fairly exceptional in replying to a goal within the first minute or two but you don't want to be behind early doors and it only took 11 minutes for Pats and Dakar to score and I know a lot of people in the ground may not have seen it because there was all sorts of traffic problems talking to my dad today he only got into the ground what a minute before the game and uh, uh, before Dakar scored should I say so 10 minutes into the game Dakar scores and uh, I think there might have been a few people who were in the same kind of boat because of the uh, the issues around the ground but a, a good finish from Dakar Madison makes it two. Then we have you know the penalty incident and uh, and and the miss penalty or should I say save penalty and and a uh, a, a goal for Legia Warsaw and then Ndidi kind of rectifies where Leicester were, which were two goals really to the four in front of Legia before half time, and it really was kind of game over from then on. But they were in command against a side that they should have beat. But they, there was a, a little bit of the of the Leicester of. Um, not the carefree Leicester, but they, they played with a little bit of more freedom, which you're going to when you're at least two goals up at the time. The, the I mean, the penalty, I mean, apart from the goals for Leicester, just to mention the penalty for um, for Legia Warsaw, it, it really sums up Leicester's season, doesn't it? It was just a, such an unlucky incident. And I've had so many people talking, and I've said this now, what, three weeks probably running now, where people at work or, or whoever in the streets or just mates have said like how why are Leicester being so poor etc and what you don't want to say is do you know what we've been really unlucky in games we've we've not had the rub of the green because if any side says that you're just like oh okay you know you kind of roll your your eyes in the back of your head and you go okay that that old excuse but it's I I think with Leicester this season if you go back as as much as there's been big problems and issues and players not performing and and system issues and and formation etc. You can look back on the season and go, do you know what? We have actually not had the rub of the green in many of the games as well. So that really summed up the season for me. A very unlucky penalty. But straight away, Wilfred and D scores and we go 3-1 up. And from then on, it was a, a fairly entertaining yet kind of 
consequential second half really because it was uh, it was all Leicester but a much needed win which sets up the group perfectly Rob and we gave it a big kind of preview last podcast regarding on what Leicester need etc and we've got the game against Napoli coming up Leicester in in pole position to win the league yet arguably you would possibly say if you were going to price it up maybe possibly favourites to finish third in a way it's it's an intriguing end to the Europa League but it was a much needed win and maybe without that win we wouldn't have then gone on to perform that way the way we did against Watford yeah, it's a confidence booster for everybody, and not only in the in the sense that it was a response to a, a comprehensive defeat against Chelsea, but also the fact that it did move. It, obviously, it's a tight group, but it moved us up from fourth to first, and it puts Leicester in in the driving seat really for the last game of the of the group stages. Of course, you would say probably on paper uh, Napoli would be favourites to win the game. They're going very well in Serie A. Uh, they've had a mixed bag of results in the Europa League, but then if you looked at Leicester's form of a few weeks ago, also you would you would have put a, a quite a considerable gap between Napoli and Leicester. Now all of a sudden, Leicester seem to be sort of moving in the right direction, uh, and I think the 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 going a couple of goals up and then being in control of the second half with or without the ball is a real hallmark of what Brendan Rodgers typically has built at Leicester City Uh, and a lot of the performances a lot of the strong results and performances we've seen over the last few years with him in charge have been Leicester making a good start Leicester's attackers doing what they do best Madison and and Vardy and Dakar on this occasion in terms of getting the opening goal against Warsaw with a with a proper striker's goal and that puts you in control of the game. And then it means that if you need to soak up a bit of pressure second half, you can. And we've spoken before about Rodgers saying that Leicester are in control of the game despite not having that much of the ball. And, and, and while it doesn't sit that well um, from the from a statistical point of view, you, you actually think about it from that point of view and you're like, no, he was right. They had a lot of the ball second half, but they didn't do a lot with it, generally speaking, over those victories. So it was nice to see Leicester return to that kind of uh, position and that kind of not necessarily full-on dominance in a game, but just in control. And, and the thing is, if you're in control of the scoreline, then you can control many of the other areas on the pitch because those the other teams have got to push themselves, they've got to stretch, they've got to leave gaps, which which in turn leaves more space for you to play in. So it's it's it was hugely positive to see that kind of tide turning for Leicester, not having to chase a game for once. How good does that feel? Uh, and you're absolutely right. We've got um, a bit of a corker of a group. You know, some of the groups like West Ham's group. Yeah, OK, I'd, I'd rather have been West Ham, to be honest with you, and cruise through the group and, um, and finish top, no problem. But it does add a bit of the excitement that we want to see from European football. There's not much point in playing in Europe against teams who you think you should be beating and finding that they've got a slightly different style of play to what you're used to in the Premier League, or it's one game too many for a few of your first-team players who are playing weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek. It, it, it's the kind of game that you that we're properly up for, and none, none more so than this because of the... So, there's so many different permutations that could that could happen. You know, on the night, it's going to be definitely one that you can't miss. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I was stand by what I said regarding where we'll finish in the league because you go to Napoli and it's going to be a very daunting task. It's going to be a difficult game. Napoli more than likely will be the favourites for that game. Then you've got Spartak taking on Legia, who have got things to play for. But you'd, you'd fancy then Moscow in that group or in that game so the likelihood of us finishing third, it's there on the table. Second is ob- op- an option if we if we draw and the result goes our way in the other game. But if you win the the game, you win the group. It's it's there for Leicester, and it's a great game and a game a great uh, a midweek European kind of fair to look forward to in uh, in the next couple of weeks. So that's all to come. But it was nice to see Leicester in that second half have that third goal. The goal from Indeedy really made it because. It meant that Leicester in that second half could play with a little bit of of, of carefree nature, knowing that if they do go um, to 3-2, that they they have the quality on the field to score another. But it gave them time to actually just play with the ball, to actually have the crowd on their side, and that's nothing against the crowd. That's just because of the nature of the game and the scoreline. But just to have that half of football, of attacking football, they were unlucky not to score another one or two, but to play a few players who maybe haven't had game time recently. And it was just nice to see Leicester, as you have in early season football, maybe having a few cup games in the early rounds of the League Cup. Maybe you just kind of arrest in the, the league form in a way. And it gave them a little bit of confidence. And we said that on the previous podcast, that a win against Ledger would then set them up for then the Premier League tie against Watford. Now, at the time, I didn't think it would turn out to be the game it was in, in the conditions, etc. But undoubtedly, Leicester then started well against Watford. And they, and they had that confidence... And they had that little bit of swagger, one or two players, against the Watford side who, to be fair, they turned up. They really did turn up. And they've got some interesting players. Um, I thought Dennis had a really good game and looks a, a very exciting player who, if Watford go down, I can't see him staying at Watford at all. I know Saar did the same, who, who wasn't on the field. But they've uh, they've got some interesting players. And it's a side who, who played for Claudio. And I know the game had that kind of Claudio Ranieri theme to it and uh, the first game that he's been back at the King Power but just to start on on, on that front I think that's where you've got to start haven't you really um, there, there was a few people who asked me before the game Rob and I don't know whether it was the same with you they mentioned about Claudio saying oh do you think he'll get a good reception and I looked at them I was, are, you, are you mad like, are you mad because he's going to get all sorts he's going to be worshipped it's Claudio He's not been back as a manager at the King Power of another side. He's absolutely worshipped by the fans who never at the time called for his head publicly in the stands, yet secretly behind the scenes and amongst everyone, we were calling for his head saying, look, we've got to make a change because it needed to be. We were the only people in, in world football who said that. The rest of the people outside of Leicester they didn't believe that. They thought we shot Bambi's man when we, we let Claudio go. They didn't realise we were, we were going down. It was, um, But it was a great reception for Claudio. Fantastic. Nicely picked up by the media and the world media really shown. And also Claudio, you know, he obviously replicated the, the affection shown by the King Power crowd uh, by bowing to them, you know, pumping his chairs, tapping his heart, etc. And not just when he walked out, it was also during the game, especially when it became apparent Leicester in front 4-2 
and it they were really kind of coasting towards the end and the songs ran around the dilly ding dilly dong it was it was just a nice a nice return for a manager because a Leicester won it was a very entertaining game of football but also he got the affection he understood it and also again it it spoke out wider to the wider football public what did they expect to happen, those people that were asking that question? Because I got asked a few times as well, mainly by non-Leicester fans, did you, did I've got you? to say. Did you yeah, really? Yeah. I, I, I thought it might have been just me, but I, was it you as well? Yeah, but it wasn't. It was typically wasn't Leicester fans. Or a couple of Leicester fans who might have been a little bit unsure kind of finished the sentence with, uh, they kind of said, he'll get a good reception, won't he? And I'm like, well, obviously, they'll be rolling out the red carpet. They'll be unveiling his statue outside the King Power you know, they've just been waiting for the chance for him to come back and, and to show show what he means to the football club. I think you're absolutely right about his departure. It wasn't one of those where anybody was calling for his head. Um, and I can't remember exactly what we said on the podcast, but I think it's highly likely that we that we would have at least strongly hinted that we thought it was probably time for for him to sort of go out gracefully. Well, I, t- I tell you exactly and, and we, we would have said it was the right decision, wouldn't we, when it happened? When it, when it was, we played Millwall the week before. I don't really remember. I was there at the game away at Millwall um, with a mate, Lalo, I've just seen, actually. And um, that was the game. That was it. The, the defeat to Millwall. And I was like, right, game over. He needs to go. But they gave him the extra game against Sevilla, which looks like, and we'll wait for the books to be written, but it looks like he was given that game away in Sevilla as a kind of, look, we'll give you that one game in Europe and um, as a bit of a... A thank you almost and 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 then we'll make the change so it was kind of a done deal but that was that was the straw that the, the Millwall game but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's when I said that's it game over yeah and it it but it was it was a mo at the, at the time obviously we would have been frustrated with how things were going in the league we would have been uh, disappointed really because the affection that Leicester fans have towards Claudio Ranieri I think whether he'd have, I mean, obviously it's, it's even stronger because we won the league, but if we'd have given the league a really good go until the last few games and just fallen away, you'd still have looked back on it. All right, after the initial disappointment, you'd have gone, what a season, what a bloke. The way he endeared himself to the entire city, the entire Leicester City family was absolutely incredible. And he will never, he didn't lose that from, from that very mediocre part season that followed. So, it's only positive memories and thoughts about Claudio Ranieri that that I any Leicester fan I know holds with them. Uh, Same here, absolutely. Neither of us were were at the game, but uh, at the weekend. But I did speak to a fair few people who went, um, and and my mum and dad went. They're season ticket holders, and they, and they said it was my mum my absolutely loved Claudio Ranieri. Loves present tense. Loves Claudio Ranieri. She was so excited um, for him to come back, as I think a lot of Leicester fans were. But she said what was really, really nice was that the fans were singing all sorts of songs to do with Claudio Ranieri, of course, totally expected. But she said it was more often than not followed with one of the most vocal and one of the loudest, most meaningful chants of Brendan Rodgers' Blue and White Army that she's heard. And I think that's a, that is so... <laughs> so so well and so tastefully done by the Leicester supporters the sense that 
here is the man that won us the, that won the Premier League. He he was the manager when Leicester City won the Premier League. Of course, he's going to forever be in the club's history books and forever in every fan that experienced that in any way, shape or form. He will be right there at the forefront of those memories. Of course he will. But it was nice to be brought back into the present day moment and especially after a couple of grumblings, more than a couple of grumblings about Brendan Rodgers over the last month or two, for it to be followed up that forcefully with chance of Brendan Rodgers blow my army. I think it's that's that's huge testament to uh, to us as Leicester fans really I can't say me personally because I wasn't there at the time but it, it shows that it's that Ranieri's era holds a special place in, every, place in everybody's heart but everyone was right behind Brendan Rodgers and the, the present day Leicester City and willing them on to get that victory and I don't know whether that's because and this is something that we haven't really um, talked about an awful lot uh I don't know whether that's because they felt a little bit uh, kind of taken aback by Brendan Rodgers and Iosi Perez's, in particular, their comments um, about not not fully understanding the boos and needing the fans to get behind them and Leicester having overachieved in recent years and, and trying to basically tell the fans, stop booing, this is about right, bar a couple of places, this is where we should be, you should be happy with that. I know it's not exactly what was said, but the tone of it, that's how it came across to certain sections of fans. So it could have turned the wrong way, but I think with victories against Warsaw and Watford and seven goals to boot, back-to-back wins, the feel-good factor around Ranieri um, coming back as well. I think what could have been a fractured relationship I think has been repaired before it completely broke it, it, it seems to have been patched up to me and it seems that now and, and I know we're only on a two game winning streak but it seems to me like everybody's back on the same page and everybody's got each other's backs again which is a much more positive place to be than it was 10 days ago yeah, I remember in the past they've had the same sort of thing when a manager arrives who was well liked by the Leicester crowd mainly because he was a previous manager and, and, and the song will go up, you have your dilly dongs, etc. Or, or whatever for Ranieri's. And then you instantly follow it by who the current incumbent is at Leicester. And 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 that's a, that's a Leicester thing that I've, I've experienced over the years, uh, all the way back to the, the early 90s for me. It's happened um, throughout my time there. So no surprise that happened. And it's it was always going to be the case and it's just fantastic that it was acknowledged by by Claudio. It seems to have been very well again reported by the wider media, etc., to maybe quell a few of those people who couldn't understand the case back in the day. And also afterwards, Claudio signing plenty of autographs after the game in the torrential snow at the time. And um, and let's get it right; he's going to enjoy himself back at Leicester. He knew what it was going to be in for at Leicester. He knew it was going to be uh, a brilliant reception, and he's going to be very very well liked. And what I hope, and I would have thought might have happened by now, but he might have retired and maybe come back at Leicester and imagine him being a retired manager walking out at half-time with the birch and having a bit of a chat. I mean, imagine that sort of thing. It would have been, it, it will be tremendous, but I thought it might have happened by now because of his age, etc. But he's just such a football man and he's got Watford playing, let's be honest. that they're, they're a very in-and-out side and I think that they're going to be like that for the rest of the season. They're going to be difficult for opponents and they've got some good players, but they will get turned over on occasion. But uh, yeah, fantastic with Claudio, absolutely tremendous. But let's just 
concentrate on the game and um and Leicester with a, a little bit of swagger back in in James Madison's uh, step scoring the first goal it was a, a a cheeky bit of play by Madison and my in, first instinct when I saw the goal it was uh, in in real time I was like what? as he shouted for that and as we all know in and you know Rob in in football you can't shout you know you can't pretend to be an opposition player and that that will be a free kick in, in the amateur level, if you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But it, he's let that ball go over his head and, and Madison's had the, 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 the vision and the anticipation to actually be in the position to go, do you know, I'll pick this up. Very Vardy-esque, I thought, straight away. That That's the sort of thing Vardy would do. And then he had the execution of the, the turn and volley to, to hit it in the corner and, and Leicester all won up, but... Uh, yeah, it, it, it poor form if he shouted. I don't think he did, though. Well, if he did, I don't mind it. It's a bit of the old... Um, <laughs> it is exactly... It's proper Jamie Vardy, isn't it? And, and we don't swear on this podcast, in case you're listening to it in the background in the kitchen. You've got the kids around. But it's... Um, it, it's. I don't know even how to say the, the word without saying the word, really. But it, it's proper... It. It, no. It's proper Jamie Vardy, it, it, if he has. And... I is there a house in there somewhere? There is, yes. Oh, uh, right. A poo, a poo, ha- proper poo housery. That's the that one. one that, that's that's what I was going for. Uh, do you know what the the rules on it are slightly blurred because years ago you couldn't shout mine or leave it, but I'm not I, I'm not totally clear on the rules these days. I know lots of people listening will will be able to clear it's it. Up leave for it, us, but yeah, it's leave it, isn't it? If you shout, leave it. If you're an opposition player. And you shout leave it to a to a, another the opposition player. Yeah, um, I think then that's that the one you can't foul. do. I think mine is is now passable, um, but I don't think leave it is. So yeah, if, if, but if he has done it, great because there's there's times this season where Leicester have looked a little bit too nice, really, and you know you don't. Want, I'm not saying I want to see cheating and people going against the rules, whatever. But out on that pitch in, in, in games of such fine margins especially when Leicester needed to get a Premier League victory then you do what you need to do really don't you but I totally agree about the the sharpness of it and the the fact that he is starting to swagger a little bit the the thing I'd say about Madison is and I'm sure we'll talk about him a bit more in relation to this game but it, it is consistency isn't it because you can see we all know, we've known for years, the natural ability that he has. He clearly is a confident young man, but also that if, even if he's confident in his head, he doesn't always show that through his body language. And how long have we been saying now we want to see it now for five games in a row, then 10 games in a row? Not saying he's got to be nine out of 10 every single week and getting two assists and a goal every time, but those positive contributions and those touches and those moments getting in those areas they need to happen more often in more games more consistently for him to be the player that he thinks he is and be the player that we think we've got as Leicester's number 10 he's also got to be fully fit which he looks like he is now that's now two games on the bounce where he's played very well but it is really the beginning it's not that period of form that you've just mentioned which he's never really shown. He's had it in in kind of eight or nine game spells, and then obviously an injury's happened. He might just be that footballer, but I think with with Madison at the moment, we just have to kind of rather than hope that or or 
I won't say expect that, but I think hope's probably the best word. Maybe just go with the flow with Madison and just say, right, is he on is he on form today? If not, he's not. And then wait for possibly it to click in maybe later in his career or hopefully now, who knows? But maybe it's just a case of just seeing how he goes on at the current time, game by game, and, and hopefully if he's fit, he can play the way that we know he can. And he was very influential with the game, the, the first goal, for example. But then after the penalty for, for Watford, a sloppy and, and rash, I think, challenge from Wilford indeed, just a bit too eager. I think it's just very easy to, to cover, really. And, and the penalty, nearly saved by Schmeichel, but penalty for, for King. The, the the second goal, pure Vardy, wasn't it? Absolutely fantastic. Assist by Madison, who got two assists on the day. Pure Vardy, impish, uh, quick, uh, a fantastic awareness of not only where he is but also the keeper and the goal how many goals have we seen Jamie Vardy score from an acute angle from the left with the outside of his right boot which this was from the right with the instep from the left but trying to curl it in all sorts of goals from very very acute and difficult angles and this was just another to, to reel off brilliant run fantastic speed to get there Brave, keeper went down, knew exactly what he had to do. And even with covering defenders, it was arguably, you'd say, a classic Vardy goal, really. And in, in, in a showreel of many, it was a classic Vardy goal. Followed up by his second goal, which, to be honest, Rob, have we've seen plenty of times this season. But at the other end of the field, I bring you the goal at Brighton. I bring you the goal that Gabriel scored for Arsenal at the cop end of the King Power. I bring you the goal that Rudiger scored for Chelsea at the cop end of the King Power. And now Jamie Vardy pulls off the near post to the corner of the six-yard box and delivers a, a more of a flick on this time, but towards the far post into the goal. And it's, exa it's virtually exactly the same goal. Slightly different because it was more of a flick on, but... It's a, a thing that's obviously been exploited against Leicester. Leicester have looked at it and gone, well, we can replicate that. Good delivery from James Madison uh, from a corner. Great header by Vardy, but it exposes maybe a modern flaw in defending from corners. I don't think Leicester are, are obviously the only side to, to be caught out by this. And I was talking earlier today about how, how you would defend this. I was talking with Dan and saying, like, well, will you stick a man on the far post, possibly? It's unlikely someone like Schmeichel is going to be beaten at the near post because of his speed and also the, the generating cover on the near post. But having someone maybe on the line would stop that flick on near post header, which is incredibly difficult to save for a goalkeeper. And also, if you get the timing of the run, it doesn't matter whether you're man-to-man -man on the guy. If you're running away from goal like that, that's going to be a difficult header to defend for whoever's near him, whether it's going to be in a forward or whether it's Robert Huth who knows it's going to be difficult to defend but having that cover on the far post would stop that so it might be something that Leicester really do start to look at even more with more safety not because of the goal that they've conceded but because of the goal that they've scored but anyway we go in at half time 3-1 up after the penalty after the Madison goal and then those two Vardy goals, brilliant goals, executed supremely by Vardy, as much as the first goal will get the headlines and will get the coverage, but it was a, a brilliant header, which has obviously been worked on the training ground. Yeah, and why wouldn't you? Let's 
if you look at it from a training ground point of view, actually, I'll pick up on your very last point there. The way to to combat conceding goals like that is to keep running through different scenarios on the training ground, and to do that, your attackers have got to be have got to be putting in corners and making runs like Rudiger, like Gabriel, um, and in terms of the goals that Leicester have conceded from those positions this this uh, season. So it, it makes sense actually then to to maybe run a dual purpose training session where your defenders are there trying to combat that kind of movement and that that near post run across the front and the the glancing header across goal but actually your forwards have got to be able to execute that to to put a game situation onto your defense so if it seems like it's working or it looks like you could identify it as a, a potential area of weakness for another opponent then why wouldn't you go for it and like you say Pete it, the corners are an interesting one because typically, you know, if you talk about when when we were first growing up watching Leicester, you, you're a few years ahead of me. But in terms of like nineties, you just want Only some somebody like Steve Guppy to put it somewhere in the box and know that you've got Matty Elliott, Steve Walsh, Jerry Taggart, any one of those absolutely massive fellas in there to win your header or win your first contact. The quality of the delivery mattered a bit. But they would always scrap to make the contact now, and and I can't imagine. I don't. I don't know for sure because uh, you know when I was watching that that kind of O'Neill team, I wasn't watching the intricacies of set piece defending. But I can't imagine there was an awful lot of zonal going on because typically the English game has been, and and certainly at amateur level, which which you and I have played at for for our entire lives. Let's be honest. Um, you go man for man, you go touch tight, you nominate who your man is, you make it very clear whose man is who, and if they score, it's basically your fault. Now, that kind of individual um, responsibility, I guess, is a good thing in a way because it means you, you're thinking, oh, I cannot let this fella score because if he does, everyone's looking at me because they know it's my man. Especially if you're in a team where it's like, same man, same man as the last corner, you're like, oh, no. And you're looking up, and I'm usually one of the taller players on our team, and every other team's got an absolute giant. I'm not a giant, by the way. I'm six foot two, first thing in the morning if I stand up very straight. But every other team's got a like six foot six centre half. That's tall, to be honest. That's thundering really forward. Yeah, it's not giant though, is it? And I'm usually to me it is. Well, well, to you, yeah. <laughs> we won't disclose on air how 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 tall you are. Um, but it's a, it is it's not tall it's small that's why i emphasize the 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 t on tall uh but it is a, it is a challenge and it is you do have to take personal responsibility for it but i can understand why the zonal thing is happening because it means that even if players are clever with runs you have in theory got your defenders in various areas of the penalty area so that there's not going to be any gaps or any kind of runs that people can make into spaces that have been generated by your defender following his man. But the problem with the zonal thing is you most defenders are starting from a standing start and most of the attackers are running like from the edge of the box say to even to the penalty area to the to the penalty spot 6 yards if they get closer to 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 the 6 yard box you're talking 8 or 10 yards. If you're building up a head of steam at running at that kind of pace over over those many yards, you naturally your momentum is going to give you a lot more airtime, a lot more power in the air. 
the thing is, defenders are also always the, the attackers are going to be running towards the goal. More often than not, they're going to be running towards the goal. So their momentum is already going in the direction where they want the ball to go if they manage to make contact. The defenders running back towards their own goal whilst trying to track this man who they don't know where he's going and the, and the attacker does. So he's got an advantage in that sense. And then they're going towards their own goal. So it's more difficult if you do make the right, if you do make the first contact ahead of your man, it's more difficult to get it into an area where it's not going to cause any bother. You know, you could try your best to head it over the goal or, or to the side of the goal, but your main aim is to try and get it out of the box. So d- defending corners is difficult, but it's pleasing that Leicester have managed not just to sort of shore that up a little bit, but actually managed to turn it completely on its head uh, and try and... Uh, our set-piece goal difference must be an absolute travesty this season. So try and chip away at that and, and readdress the balance a little bit. It's It's nice to see, especially from someone like Vardy, who you wouldn't necessarily think of as your first target for a for a corner because he's in terms of standing height he's not that tall but we know he's got he's got explosive pace over a couple of yards to get that momentum to get that spring in his step and he has got a good leap and he's a finisher with his right foot his left foot his head whatever you put him in the box you give him half a sniff and he scores two goals against you just as Watford found out of the weekend yeah, I don't think it's any accident. It's Jamie Vardy doing exactly that. He's the most alert guy in the penalty area, defence or attack. And uh, I echo what your thoughts. A lot of people will say, oh, straight away, zonal marking, it's not working, etc. Now, first of all, they are not wrong. <laughs> you are not wrong because look at the goals against. It's it's not working. Now, is it working because is it not working because of the system or is it not working because of the people who are there not implementing the system, not tracking the runs, not defending their small area, etc. Well, it's more than likely that that second option, because it's happened in the past for a million clubs where it's worked absolutely fine. It's worked at Leicester. But when it happens so often, and when that same goal is conceded, there is obviously a huge issue there with either the system or the man, and one of them's got to go. And at the moment, especially with the defence, there's not many kind of options. So maybe it's a change of of system. But for Leicester to then implement the same thing, and also for it to be Vardy who does it from the near post, is um, it, it's fantastic. It was a really good header, just a fantastic header, and um, and it got Leicester into the into a three goal advantage after his his brilliant first goal. Um, second half, a, a good well, a goal by Dennis who who. who Pick the pocket really of Castagna, who had a very good game, but it was, it was just slightly sloppy play. But I, I would, I would have it as maybe six of one, half a dozen of another when it comes to the blame there, because as much as Castagna was caught out, doesn't matter what the case you can argue for Castagna, he was caught out with the ball, but it wasn't like he dallied on the ball for a long time. It was a really good interception and tackle by Dennis. So I'm going to put it as a, a half blame for Castagna and a, and a half kind of praise for Dennis, who who looked a really good player. And um, I think this season has proven himself to be a Premier League player. And if Watford go down, I think will be will be snapped up by someone else. And uh, and then obviously in the second half, with the conditions deteriorating, etc., it, it was a goal by Luckman. Nice to see him score a goal. Another good performance by Luckman, who... We'll talk in 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 a in a short while, Rob, regarding what he's done so far at Leicester. But getting that goal then was vitally important. Just after Dennis, what seven minutes or so, just after, and then 
meant that Leicester, because of the conditions, could then control the game, hit the channels. No surprise to see then Mark Albrighton come on for um, for Adam O'Luckman and then Madison come off and Jewsby Hall come on later on. It, that, that's no surprise. Decent substitution, especially the Albrighton. That's just common sense. And um, if you want anyone to come off the bench in those conditions, Mark, come on, you're on. Um, that's that's the sort of thing he'll, he'll revel in. But uh, a good win for Leicester, a much-needed win. Puts us within touching distance of the top four as well. You know, it's a very tight league and these wins are vitally important. Don't worry about the position in the league at the moment. It's very tight in there. It's not really worked itself out properly. And um, yeah, overall, a really good win in a in an entertaining game. The second half, obviously, with the snow caught everyone out. I mean, there was expected snow flurries. It was, uh, but it, it really was... A throwback game, I've heard it being called. A game where, from what I've seen of, and 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 the extent again, the extended highlights, etc., and all sorts, it, it it looked to be a game to hit the channels in the second half, to work hard, to be, I must say, more motivated. But they were the words echoed by the managers to say that they wanted it more, and I think that was just the second half alone. When you need more efforts, yes, you might have the skills to just nip the ball away, etc. We've all played football in the snow. We know what you need, but I think the effort there and and the desire kind of tells more, really, when it's in those conditions. Unless they had that, which is great to see and and should really carry them forward. And you've got to ask the question hypothetically: Would that have been there if they hadn't have beaten Warsaw in midweek? Uh, and would they have had that actual drive and desire to want to to play through those conditions and come through them on the on the right side of it? Probably not quite so convincingly. So it is it's a very kind of cliche way to look at it. But but winning does give the team the confidence and and the the knowledge really that they can win football matches. I think they've probably not managed to hit any kind of significant run of form where Leicester players have walked onto the pitch and wholly believed that they could win that game from the first minute. But playing Thursday night and then Sunday lunchtime, uh, well, early afternoon, wasn't it? It it does, it means that you've just, you basically, it, you can remember what winning feels like because it literally just happened. So it's kind of like spring forward into the next one and it's the ideal way to, to move into December where it's weekend midweek, weekend midweek, to to have that feeling amongst the players. And I think if Leicester managed to get one or two more consecutive wins in the bag, it then means that if you do have a slightly off day or you do pick up one point where you probably should have picked up three, or, or even if you suffer a bit of a disappointing defeat, the last victory is not, that long ago it's not such a distant memory that you that you struggle to to draw upon that and bring that back into your game for the next one it's it's right there in your mind because let's say whatever you let's say you you lose a game um you win a game one weekend to make it four wins on the spin and then you lose midweek in whatever competition it is you go to the next weekend and it's probably only then six days since your last victory so you know what that feels like. You know what worked well. You know how you need to approach the game and you can get straight back on it. It's really vital now, I think, that Leicester City use this victory against Watford and Warsaw. Yes, there's still the odd mistake going on defensively. 
Um, but they need to really use this as a springboard to say, right, we've got to string together a couple more positive results, performances that will drag everybody in the in the in the sort of right direction again, and then it doesn't have that much of an effect if a negative result comes your way because you can bounce straight back. And I think to come through difficult conditions against Watford and having scored those goals on a, on an afternoon where it was quite sentimental in many ways as well, all of that is is our positive pointers that we are finally turning a little bit of a corner. Yeah, and all these little bits that they do add up, I completely agree with you. The confidence is the main thing because as much as you can have every single game, going into the game as a fan going, right, here we go, we've got so-and-so at home or so-and-so away, right, we've got a chance here. Well, if you're a player and you've had some sloppy mistakes, which many Leicester players have had, especially at the back, lack of confidence, lack of goals maybe from one or two players, as much as you can turn it on in an instant and you can hit the ball from whatever and it goes in... to get game after game, win after win, I know a lot of people or some people poo-poo the word momentum. Oh, it's a it's a genuine thing in football. I really do believe it. And without that win against Legia Warsaw, we could have easily beat Watford. But I don't think we would have had, especially in the way that the game panned out, conditions-wise, etc., that confidence to to go on from the, the sloppy mistakes and go and win the game. Because, again, sloppy mistakes in the game. We don't keep a clean sheet a tackle by Ndidi, which was rash, was loose, and then the the slight mistake from Castagno, it was a mistake, but you know what I mean? It was it, it was still not goals that were wonderfully created by the opposition. It was still given away by Leicester on both occasions, easily given away by Leicester. But the scoreline's there. Goals, four goals at home in the Premier League following the three against Ledger Warsaw. And now we move on in the Premier League to uh, a happy hunting ground at, uh, at Southampton. We can't not mention the nine. We can't not. But it will be there with Leicester until there are no Leicester players involved in the first team squad that were not there that time when we won at at Southampton by nine goals. It, it it won't be the case. It just will not be the case. But it is a different side, different manager, etc., etc., etc. Or not sorry, different manager. But it was um, it, it's a different different side, different context. Um, will it be absolutely tipping down rain? I, I presume not. But um, you can't go into a game just expecting it's going to happen again or very similar. But it's there. Imagine if Leicester go up by a couple of goals early. It's there in the back. That's when it might rear its head. Um, anyway, enough of the nine. Um, it's a game against a side who Leicester should be looking at taking three points. I think we said this on a previous podcast. There's absolutely no reason, regardless of what happened against Warsaw or against what happened against Watford, where Leicester go into an away game at Southampton in the Premier League, doesn't matter how well they're playing. They could be flying high. They could be in fifth playing very well, playing attacking football, new signings have clicked, doesn't matter. The side Leicester have got, go to Southampton, and you go there with an expectation of, we can win this game. Now, what happens on the field of play is a different matter, but Leicester, at the moment, on this little bit of a run now, they should go in full confidence, and I am confident they can turn away from the game with three points. Whether there's going to be any changes, it's these midweek games with her... It's the, the Amazon Prime 
fixture list, as I've called it. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games, Wednesday night, Southampton away, more than likely the same side. But you've got to be confident, Rob. Yeah, of course you have, because Southampton, although they're only four points behind Leicester in the Premier League table, I am absolutely certain that that will be a much more considerable gap come the end of the season. I th- I don't think Southampton are quite relegation candidates, but they have got what looks to be a very thin squad of fairly inexperienced players on the whole, either based on their age or based on their lack of time in the top flight. Um, and they are absolutely there for the taking. They were The way they approached their game against Liverpool was interesting to say the least because they went for it didn't they yeah well they yeah, they did and it's kind of ballsy in a way but it's also a bit daft isn't it because Liverpool's front three even I think Diogo Jota is proving very much so that that front three is no longer set in stone as Salah, Mane and Firmino Diogo Jota is is in in many people's eyes a, a more effective player in that front three than Roberto Firmino in my fancy football team eyes, definitely. Yes, and mine as well. Uh, so to go three at the back against their front three was very interesting, very interesting. And it quite simply didn't work, did it? I mean, the scoreline tells you everything you need to know. And even if Southampton tried to match Leicester player for player, um, I, I, we've got better individual quality in pretty much every area. Um there's not many, if any, Southampton players that would make it into your Leicester strongest eleven. I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest. So I think even if they try and match us in any way, shape, or form, Leicester should and and do have enough to win the game reasonably comfortably. Not nine nil comfortably, but reasonably comfortably. And that's exactly the approach that they should be taking on Wednesday evening. That's exactly the approach that I think they will be taking, especially off the back of two high-scoring victories. It will be a consideration, really, to look at how well they've started the last couple of games and get straight at Southampton, who are going to be reeling a bit from being having four put past them by Liverpool. They are struggling for any kind of consistency, just like Leicester and just like a lot of teams in the Premier League. That's why it's so congested because teams will win a couple, then lose three or four or, or, you know, go winless for three or four. And it just keeps everything quite tight in there. But what we're seeing and what we're really, really hoping, and I'm going to say it again because I really want to believe it, is that Leicester are now on a more positive path and and, and and the next step is that consistency. And Southampton on Wednesday night gives a really good opportunity for that to happen. Yeah, I, th- I think Leicester have got a tremendous chance. It's uh, it's a game where I can't really see many changes unless they, they fancy maybe resting one or two players or maybe just changing one or two around in the squad. Uh, Leicester have got to go with the back four. The back four looks very comfortable or a lot more comfortable than it has been. Thomas excelled against Watford, I thought, and uh, he, he's clearly, he can play as a wing-back, but he's clearly more comfortable when he's in a back four. Uh, I think they both said Haas were fine and then oh, Sonchus, I presume, return will be fine from his uh, ball in the face. And then Castagna, depending on, I don't think Pereira is going to be back and then obviously Yuri Tillemans is later on in the month. It's um, 
And then the rest of the side picks itself. It's a shame Kelechi and Nacho win in this formation, and we've said this a gazillion times, when there's a back four, there's no real room for Kelechi and Nacho. He can play in the Madison role, but because Madison in that formation is in the three in midfield, 4-3-3 in theory, or 4-2 kind of 3-1, it's still almost slightly too deep for then Kelechi to play. He can play in that role, but it's it's just a case he's going to be on the bench. I can't really see any changes unless there's been any knocks that Leicester have had. Um, Southampton, just a, a bit of a mixed bag, really. I think I think Ralph, Ralph uh, Hassan Hootel's a very good manager, and I think he's he's primed if he continues the way he's, he's going at Southampton. And that's just really keeping them where they are, maybe progressing to mid-table. But with, with the loss of players that they've had, and I, I just think he's done very well. I know he's had the, the goals against him with, with the Leicester game, and then... Um, also conceding what nine at Manchester United, he's had those, but then to bounce back from those, also not to be sacked straight away, shows that the board have complete faith. But I think this is a guy who is in the the kind of Pochettino mould where he will move on to a big club. Now it might well be that in a few, in a few months' time, maybe towards the end of the season or the end of the season, we might be looking at Hassan Hubel going, is he the next Leicester manager? Who knows? But I think he's proven himself to be more than adequate to manage higher up in the Premier League. That being said, I'm going to go for a Leicester win. I don't think there's any reason to doubt that. I think with Vardy on fire, I can see Vardy scoring first. He's got a great record at St Mary's. Obviously, the goals against them when we won by nine, but previous goals, I remember the goals in the game where we played there in the late what brace for him in the 2-2 the draw in the league winning season. But... I'm going to go for a Leicester win, and I am going to go for a Leicester clean sheet as well. The first clean sheet in the Premier League since the first game against Wolves. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Leicester win. I'm going to go for Vardy first goal. Maybe Dakar off the bench. Maybe Vardy, because of the um, the quick turnaround in games, being uh, brought off after an hour or so, or, or something like that, and then Dakar coming on, scoring a goal, with the view to then Villa at the weekend. Big game at Villa on the, on the Sunday. But I'm going to go for a 2-0 win. I'd love to predict a clean sheet, but I, I haven't got it in me just yet. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, th- I think we'll win by two goal margin, uh, and I'm going for a three-one. I, I still think there's a little bit of fragility there that means we are going to concede, but I think we are looking very, very dangerous at the moment. We we have the the potential to be quite free scoring, and uh, it's that rock and roll football we want anyway, isn't it? Three-one. I'm gonna say. Uh, but but uh, but a comfortable one, three one. We'll take it. We'll definitely take it. And then, as we know on the podcast, it's very difficult to look forward again from there. But uh, we then look forward to the Villa game on the Sunday, and it's a side that a two from two under Steven Gerrard, and just the out from the outlook, it it looks like ignore what Dean Smith has done at Villa because he did overall a, a very, very good job and he'll surely, he'll get exactly the same reception, or maybe not as good as, as Claudio, but he will get a very favourable reception when he returns because he has not failed in one iota at Aston Villa, has he? He's had a bit of a dip in one season and, and then the board have decided, right, we're going to make the change because rather than being anti the manager... They've been more pro another manager in Steven Gerrard. And he's two from two. And he looks like he's brought a real infectious kind of uh, workman-like attitude to, to the side. They've clicked into gear. They're going to be 
giving absolutely everything for him and then it's just a case of moulding them into a bit of a side which they've got more than the talent to get involved in the top half of the league for me, for Villa. It seems a, a I know it's an easy thing to say, but it seems a good decision to be made and it's a manager in a hurry who's got his eyes on, on some big, big prizes and some some big jobs in the next few years. But he, he's I think he's going to be a big success at, at Aston Villa. I think I said that when he first arrived and... Yeah, it's gone very well from him. It's going to be a difficult place to go to. It's sure it's going to be a, a bit of a racket as well because even if they uh, come unstuck in their in their next game midweek, surely it's going to be a, a really good atmosphere against a, against Leicester. But also because it's a home game, you know, for for Villa and they're going to be full of it, aren't they? So it's going to be ultra difficult. I mean, I mentioned about Vardy. He, he surely can't play the full 90 against Southampton because he's going to be wanting that game at Villa because they're going to give him all sorts. We know he scored at Villa Park in front of the whole tendon when he's been given pelters, but he, he's going to want that game. That's going to be something that's pretty much circled on the fixture list. Um, difficult game, obviously, to work out because we've got the game beforehand. Um, can't see any reason why there's any big changes for Leicester unless players are back, Pereira or, or maybe Yuri Tillemans, but it sounds like it won't be. Um, but a difficult game to work out. I don't think we're going to give score lines. I think that would be slightly unfair, really. But I, I'm just going to go for it's going to be a tough game. I can't see any reason why Leicester can't score against Villa. I think Villa are going to be difficult to beat and difficult to score against, but I'm going to go for Leicester to at least bag a couple of goals. And if we, I think if we we leave Villa apart with a point, I think that's going to be a very positive result because they are on a bit of a crest at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. It's it's looking very tight at this stage, and we obviously don't know what's going to happen in these midweek games. They're on the new manager bounce at the moment, and I think somebody like Steven Gerrard has got a bigger new manager bounce than the many other people because you know he's he's an icon of english football he's one of the best midfielders that we've ever managed to produce so if you're any kind of footballer uh, aston villa you've heard of him you you'll have seen him play a lot of them will probably um have kind of grown up watching him play really and and, and have been kind of inspired by him or very very aware of his ability uh, he has as a Liverpool captain, he has uh, a commanding presence. He has the leadership skills. He has the the name and the kind of uh, the kind of aura that comes with it, really. So for him to walk into Villa Park, regardless of his reasonable lack of credentials as a manager, you could say what you like about what he's done at Rangers, and it, it, it's on the whole a very positive job he's done. Don't get me wrong, but it's a bigger test, obviously, coming to the the English Premier League. Um, but he would have walked in, and everyone would have gone straight away. Would have gone, "Whoa, that's Stephen Gerrard, and he, he's our new manager." We, and, you know, instantly it's going to boost everybody at the club, staff, uh, you know, those involved in the football side of things, and not everybody's going to be like, "Oh, Stephen Gerrard's the new gaffer." So it's it's naturally galvanised them. Of course, it has. What we'll find out probably a little bit after the Leicester Villa game, probably a few weeks going on from that, is how what is he actually like as a manager? Because at the moment, yes, he's, he, he'll have changed certain things, but they will be fueled by the momentum of the new manager, the the kind of draw of Steven Gerrard being on the sideline in the Villa tracksuit, you know, fist pumping away. In a few weeks' time, we'll find out what kind of manager he is and, and how he can pit himself against some of the best managers in the world that are in the Premier League. Unfortunately for Leicester... 
this game comes, I think, still well within the new manager bounce. So that's what makes it extra difficult. So totally agree with you. If we come away with a point from that, especially if we beat Southampton, as we've both predicted uh, in midweek, then for for seven points from the from the previous nine in the Premier League, as well as a win in the Europa League, would, would represent a very good haul over a couple of weeks. I think so. I think there's a bit more about Gerard. First of all, I'd, I'd I'd kind of upgrade his performance at Rangers. I think the uh, as much as you know, you kind of can't look at Scottish football, but I think what he did there, going in at the time and going right, I'm now Rangers boss after being what in charge of the Liverpool on the 23s, going there, winning the league straight away, um, breaking that Celtic record. Really, was it nine on the bounce that they previously won? And ultimately doing a very good job, performing quite well in Europe as well. He's done well. He's done very well there. Straight into the Villa. I completely echo your thoughts about him being, oh, look, it's Steven Gerrard. It's a different persona to someone like, uh, say, a Frank Lampard. I mean, at the the time of recording, I've got Derby on in the corner of the TV. Um, A bit different to Frank, a bit different to even Wayne Rooney, who you'd say in the echelons of English football will obviously be kind of higher up than Gerrard. But it's a different character. And it's just the way he's conducted himself in the manager, his record as well, his backroom staff, the way he's gone about things, it's just been immensely impressive, I think. And it's gone from one step to the next. And I think he, he has that personal aura, as you said, more than the other two men that I mentioned, and more than probably anyone from that era of English football and also in the recent era since he retired. For those who have since retired, I don't think there's anyone really, and it would take a a real star. I can't think of anyone right now who would be in the mould of a Gerard who would retire from football to move into management. That would be more than him. But the fact that he's done it already as a manager, I think just adds a bit more. And imagine at Leicester as well. You've got the new training ground and as much as Brendan Rodgers comes across as quite laid back, etc., etc., I'd imagine he has that kind of the bosses here, the managers here. He's in here. He walks into a room. You kind of you 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 be careful. You know, I mean, you you do your job. You know, the, the managers here. He has that kind of that aura about him. He's he's in control. He is the big boss, which I think Gerard will have at Villa mainly because of who he is at the moment, but I think of what he'll probably go on and achieve as well. Um, talking actually earlier today, we were, we were talking about managers being like kind of not big fishes in small ponds is a, is a is a horrible term, but that's the kind of equation I'm going with. That's the kind of relation I'm going with when it comes to football with the, the fact that managers don't get given time anymore. Uh, you, you look back at say Wenger and you look back at say Ferguson and the fact that they were given time to then rebuild a new side and you might dip below the opposition being the other side so Arsenal to Man United and the other way around you might go down by 10 or 15 points one season because they, they've they got the, the top team and then you rebuild and you get a couple of players in next season you finish second again to them by five points and then you go and win the league for two seasons and it kind of goes around in cycles because you are <clears throat> the big fish, you are the main man at that football club, and you're given that time to then to then do that. There's not many managers out there in the Premier League at the moment who you would say are that. I think the top three are. I think your Klopp has quite simply done that. I think Liverpool have been through that, either through injury or or just because of the nature of the side. 
Manchester City, exactly the same. You, you've got a guy there who can do pretty much what he wants, and, and deservedly so because of his record. And I think Thomas Tuchel's well on his way to doing that, even though he's relatively new, but his record at Chelsea is second to none. Away from that, you are kind of struggling. I mentioned Hassan Hootel as well. Um, I don't think if I think if they were in bang in trouble, they they probably would pull the trigger. But there's probably only two other managers I can really think of, and that's going to be um, one obviously Brendan because we all know that's where I'm going to get to. But the other one probably say Sean Dyche, who who has that at Burnley, and again deservedly so through the thick and thin, they will stick by him because he's proven that he can turn things around and ultimately get results and, and build a new side or add players to it. And I think at Leicester, Brendan is is, is that guy. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be supporters out there who would disagree with that. Absolutely fine. I think there's going to be supporters who would maybe, even through the the FA Cup win, etc., they would obviously be completely delighted Fantastic, brilliant. You support the side. You don't support the manager. You support the the club, you know. But they would look at Brendan and go, actually, I don't quite agree with his tactics. I would like to see this, that, and the other. That's great. You know, you you might you might want one style of football. But also, there will be people out there who maybe don't like him for one reason or another. Just don't take to him. That's absolutely fine. You don't you don't have to be completely enamoured with the manager of the football club. But I think he has that at Leicester. I think he has first of all his record. Speaks for you know seconds and on. I know we've just dipped out of those top four places in the league, but he's got that record in the league. He's got the cup win, so he's got the trophy under his bag. But also, he arrived as a big name as well, and he arrived as a big personality, which we know people take the mick out of and all that sort of thing. Um, but he is a big time manager, and I think he has that at Leicester. If he was down towards the relegation zone, we know Leicester would pull the trigger and we would change the manager. But I think he has that kind of aura of a of a kind of a, a big time manager, and I think Gerard and this is awesomely early, but he's on his way to maybe having that at, at football clubs and and probably that at Villa. So when it comes to Brendan, I, just to kind of go back on what we said last time about about it, I'm just kind of really putting the decorations on the tree of I I think any talk about kind of his future was a paper talk which has got nothing to do really with Leicester fans but also surrounding how Leicester have gone this season was just massively too early way over the top and even if Leicester were a mid-table side for this season and then challenging for cup competitions and maybe falling short yes by all means look at the situation but just hold fire, you know, look at what you've got first and appreciate what we've got now. And, you know, the grass is not always greener, but I'm, I'm just saying, I think, uh, I know it's only two games and we've got a couple of games maybe before we do another podcast, but I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at those two games going, yeah, just remember the good times, you know, it was all very nice against Legia Warsaw and then an entertaining game against Watford. And by all means, we were not, nowhere near 100%, nowhere near 100%. But we were playing for the manager, we were playing for the football club, and there was absolutely no problem. There's no discourse behind the scenes. It's absolutely fine. So I think, yeah, I think we've just got to kind of appreciate what we've got. And I think I think they were slightly off by saying about the overachievement, whether that was a slip of the tongue or whether that was a, a deliberate 
word. I, I'd more go along the lines of they were maybe just searching for something to say, but I, I don't agree with that. I don't, because I think that, even though in private you may think that, but I think you can't say it to fans of a football club. I just don't think you can. I think that would just, even if even if Claudio said it the year after we won the league, said, oh, we overachieved last year, I, I, you, you just can't say that. Even though we obviously did, I just think it's just a complete no-no to say because it's something then you can hold against a manager. But uh, But anyway... I just think uh, when we beat Southampton and when we get a, a good result against Villa and score a last-minute winner from a Soyuncu header from a corner, from a near-post flick-on from a corner, um, I think uh, I think I think there might be a few people who who won't be, but I think they'll be looking back, going, actually, you know, when I was calling for Brendan Rodgers' head, and then we go into the game against Napoli, going for top of the Europa League, and we're only two points off the top five in the Premier League me one or two people out there just kind of looking back and going do you know what two weeks ago when I was writing all sorts of nonsense and, and shouting this and the other I might have just been ahead of the game a bit well I I know exactly who those people are not everybody obviously but people that I spoke to who said I am leaning towards Rogers out so I'm going to do exactly that before the next podcast when we've beaten Southampton and when we've picked up at least a point against Villa I'm going to go to them and say you're still Rogers out. And if if they've said no, then I'll say, thank goodness you are not in charge of the football club. Because I think the overachiever thing was a bit of a too strong a word for me. And it, it shocked me a little bit because Brendan Rogers is usually extremely measured and considered in his in his press conferences. Whenever he's speaking to any member of the media, he's very wary and very careful with every word he says. That's part of the reason why you only get about three words from him. The same three you used to get from Claude Puel, incidentally, but um, usually about something about mentality, something about te- t- tactically, intensity. something about intensity, something about, you know, you, you know it. It's just in a Northern Irish accent instead of a French one, isn't it? And he's a much better manager. of Even even though during the Rogers out a few weeks ago brigade, some of them said it's no better than watching Claude Puel's Leicester. And I was like, come on now. It definitely is. I think the overachievement thing is, it's not an overachievement because we've done it consistently for the last couple of seasons, finished in the top six. That's not happening by chance. I think the reason it's part of the reason it's happening is is because of something you you mentioned there, Pete, is the sense that Brendan Rodgers knows his job is secure at Leicester in the short to mid term, which is I think all you can ask for as a as a professional football manager these days, bar the odd exceptional circumstance, to know your job is safe in Leicester is an absolute disaster, then it means that you can go about your job with some kind of mid medium term vision possibly even starting to think about well this medium term vision forms part of this long term vision how many managers can genuinely say at the football clubs they're at at the moment that they can see themselves seeing through uh, let's say a two or three year project not many at all so it comes down to again at us as fans, gratitude towards the Leicester owners because they got the right man at the right time, paid the 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 money, the compensation to Celtic to get him down to Leicester, not just for a few games, not just for a season and a half, but for actually a, look, we've got this whole club project. This is the man 
to oversee all of the footballing aspects of that project. And it's something that they they know he's bought into. They wouldn't have brought him to the club if they thought his head was going to be turned by anything other than an exceptionally large football team coming in. So the only two ways that Brendan Rodgers leaves Leicester City is if they are in genuine danger of significantly underachieving, a la Claudio Ranieri, or if Brendan Rodgers' dream job and his return to the very, very, very top presents an opportunity for him. Other than that, he's the Leicester City manager for the very foreseeable future. And that period of stability is is fantastic for us because it doesn't matter if you go through these these periods of, of difficulty on the pitch in terms of your form because he is in control of this whole project. It's not just a bloke with some coaching badges who's come from another team who is running training sessions for 20-odd senior professionals and changing the formation slightly and then clearing off after 20, 30 games. He knows exactly what he's trying to achieve here. We can only begin to imagine the amount of work he's put into this project and we should be very, very grateful for the direction that it continues to go in because we've had some incredible times under Brendan Rodgers. FA Cup, Community Shield, back-to-back top five finishes. Just please just enjoy it and and let's keep going on this journey and see where the Brendan Rodgers project takes us because we're privileged to be a part of it we are I will just taper that with the the kind of the which is at this current time with what's going on and etc etc the freedom and the the liberty and the ability to to criticize as well to to kind of be the devil that can say like well if things aren't going right we we should point that out and we should criticise and say, look, this is not good, this is not good, um, this should be happening when clear decisions that upset the fan base happen. Again, that there should be questions raised, absolutely fine. But I think it's just the, the veracity of them when when you start to kind of go straight for the manager. It, 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 it doesn't work out. It just doesn't. Now, none of us can predict the future and who else could they bring in and who knows, but... It's. I think the fact that we've mentioned Claudio for obvious reasons on this podcast a couple of times. You just mentioned it there, and you said we haven't slipped into the the depths of what we did with Claudio, where it was obvious he had to go. Absolutely, and I mentioned that game against Millwall, and then obviously he went after the Sevilla game. That is when you change a manager who has done really well at Leicester, and if Brendan got in that situation where we started to really slip down, then yes, that's exactly what what would happen and, and what we would expect. But it's just, and, and and we're trying not, we're definitely not blowing smoke up a guy who has basically just won two games, one in the Europa League and one in the Premier League against a lower level side. But it's just a little bit of a hold fire. You're always going to have the people who shout loudest going to be heard, even if they're one out of a thousand people who are saying one thing and the rest agree with something else. They're going to be the ones, and we've learned that over the last 24 months or so. So it's um, it's not a major criticism, but it's just a... I, I just like to say as a hot kind of a hold fire. You know, we've got a really good squad here. Let's, let's just see where we go. We've got a lot of games coming up. We've got some very exciting games in the league, in the Cups especially as well. And um, and who knows where we will be next time we uh, convene for the podcast, Rob. You might be married 
I did say that um, just before we hit record, didn't I? And you said, no, we're definitely going to get one in before that. Uh, I am getting married on the 11th of December. Uh, hopefully we will get a podcast in before then. So this is my penultimate podcast as an unmarried man. Would you believe it? It's come around very quickly. Hopefully we'll, we'll need to we'll need to Rob just just to say we'll need to get one in before that because it might take a while to recover afterwards today. Who for you or me after the wedding? <laughs> me. Uh, I'd let I'll let the listeners know that you were one of the first people to RSVP to the wedding, which was booked reasonably late by wedding standards, probably about five months, four or five months ago. Pete's RSVP on his dietary requirements was uh, was it. Beer, gin, and paracetamol, or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. So I don't uh, know who's going to need more recovery time after my wedding, me or you. <laughs> I'm working the next day. Oh well, you'll have to you have to calm it down a little bit. Champions League is it the next day? Women's Champions League? No, no, no. It's uh, it's Arsenal. It's Arsenal women against Leicester women. Oh, of course. Of <laughs> Down in London, and it's a late kickoff. It's been pushed back to six forty-five or whenever it is, and that wasn't me. But thank the Lord that it has been, um, because I can spend the, the maximum amount of time curled up in the corner of the hotel room <laughs> um, after the, uh, the, the 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 fun and games of the night before. But anyway, yeah, and uh, I, th- I suppose that's where we need to finish on. Really, you know, the the Leicester City women of. I've got rid of what Johnny Morgan. He's gone. Um, no surprise. Uh, but but there we go. They've got um, they've got some difficult games coming up. Some very difficult games coming up. I mean, away at Arsenal. My word, it could be a a monster score. But then, as we, if you go back a, a podcast or two, um, we highlighted that run of fixtures from what mid December, mid to late December, through until pretty much the start of February, they've then got about six or seven on the bounds where you look at it and go, there's a season. So I think this is a, a, a kind of a, a canny ploy by Leicester. They've, they've made the change now. They might not make an addition before those games. They might be waiting just to get someone in for the, that run of fixtures. Now, who? Don't know. We, we, we kind of highlighted on the fact that if they stay in the league, the position of the club in the in the status of of the WSL with the the finances and the facilities, they could really go for some big names. They might be looking and going, look, here's a job for a real big name to manage the club, big big name. They could come into Leicester and say, right, here's your job, keep us in the WSL, and then go from there because over the postseason we could sign whoever. It could be a name from women's football. I've got the half impression it might be a name from the men's football. I think it might be someone who's out of work, who might be attracted to the job um, and being given the role to then go forward with Leicester. Um, we'll wait and see. I've, I don't know anything at all, but if someone like Chris Hewton was going to turn up there, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> that's that's just one name, but um, we'll we'll go from there. But it's no surprise. It's a shame because a guy who's done so well at Leicester got them promoted. Uh, ultimately, this season it's not gone well. They've had the two or three close games, and then one or two injuries, and then the previous game was just so disappointing. It's going to happen. Just the record alone, rock bottom. 
um, losing every game. It's just not a good look. So it, it was going to happen, but um, he'll always be someone looked on fondly at the football club. And who knows? Who knows? In a couple of years' time, they could be challenging the top half of the league, really going places as one of the real big boys in women's football. Um, and uh, and we will look back and go, what a great job he did overall at the football club. So, yeah, very interesting times because of the nature of the football club. But uh, I think we just wait and see as we do with uh, with what happens this week. So uh, just to reiterate, Rob, I'm going for 2-0 against Southampton and then uh, to score at least two at Villa. And what was yours? 3-1 against Southampton and score draw against Villa. There we go. So we will attempt to be back... In good time, we should be, to be perfectly honest, um, next week, early next week, again, then with a look towards the future and next extra or what's happening here. But uh, as you will all know, it's a, it's a podcast between myself and Rob. Sometimes the diary doesn't work out. So again, if you're looking for a podcast earlier on in the week and it doesn't arrive, etc., then you know by now it's just because the timetable hasn't worked out. You know, real life gets in the way. But um, as soon as we get a chance, we do these podcasts and we will endeavour to get one in before the um, before that big Saturday. We will. We we'll definitely will um, in one way, shape or form. So that's it for the podcast. Fingers crossed that uh, that we get the results and we can carry on with this little upturning form. <laughs> 